One of my close friends just uh, left uh, my place this yesterday morning. He stayed with me for about two and a half weeks. Uh, he was a hube, an undergrad. Um, and tonight I want to talk about the topic of friendship. And I think one of the most helpful quotes I've heard to help me understand exactly what friendship is is a quote by C.S. Lewis. And this is what he says. He says, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what you two, I thought I was the only one. You two, I thought I was the only one. What C.S. Lewis means is that friendship is born when two people discover that they value the same thing, that they have a common interest. Right, so to show you guys what I mean, I made a couple of Venn diagrams of different group chats, group chats at all parts. Here's the first Venn diagram. It's me, Mr. Nelson, and Mr. Chan. Right, so the first thing uh, that we have in common is that Mr. Chan and I both teach, or at least used to teach, English, right? So that's what we have in common. Mr. Nelson and I, we both teach Tev. Mr. Chan and Mr. Nelson are both coffee connoisseurs. I have eggy mutt, so I still don't like the taste of coffee, even though I'm 31. I'm like the only one teacher here who doesn't drink coffee. I think coffee is gross, but they can appreciate all of its nuances. But what all three of us have in common is that we all love Jesus. Okay? This is what we have in common, is that we love Jesus. And so in our group chat, this is what we talk about is uh, the events ministry had a hangout last week, uh, and I sent the picture to uh, the group chat. Um, and I said, look, events ministry organized their own hangout the other night. Mr. Chan sent this cute bear eating fried chicken. And Mr. Nelson said, wow, that's so awesome. That makes me glad. So this is what our group chat is like. A second group chat I'm part of is with Mr. Chan, Miss Nichols, and myself. Now, Mr. Chan and I actually have a lot in common. One of the, another one is that we are both Asian American. So even though I'm Korean, like many of you are, there are a lot of ways in which I can relate more with Mr. Chan than I can do with y'all because we are immigrant children. So we're both Asian American. What Ms. Nichols and I have in common is that we both use TikTok. Mr. Chan uses Instagram Reels. And so he sends us screen recordings of Reels while Ms. Nichols and I send TikToks in our group chat. Now, you guys might not know this, is Mr. Chan and Ms. Nichols were actually both music performance majors in college. Uh, Ms. Nichols was a voice major, Mr. Chan was a clarinet performance major. But what all three of us have in common is that we all love Taylor Swift. <laughs> all three of us are Swifties. This is what we have in common. So this is what we talk about in our group chat. Chris, do you want to go to the Taylor Swift concert in Japan? LOL, when and how much? I thought about this, it's probably all sold out. This is what our group chat looks like. But friendships are built on common values, and this is true of all friendships. And when you're younger, it's easier because you can be best friends with someone just because you both like, like Pokemon, Beyblade, whatever it might be. And honestly, I think if you're a guy, it's easier too. Like I've made friends at the gym just because we spotted each other a few times. Do I know his name? Nope, but I trust him with my life. Um, but as you get older, it gets deeper and more complicated because it's not just common interests, but common values. So for example, if you're traveling with a friend who really likes to explore, um, but you really like to lounge when you're on vacation, that's going to be a hard friendship to maintain. And the same is true for our friendship with God. That those who are friends of God will value the same things that God values, and their hearts will beat for the same things. Tonight, we are continuing our series that we launched yesterday at chapel, and each week we will be looking at a different identity, a different title that we have in Christ. And tonight, we're going to talk about how the Bible describes what it means to be a friend of God. The title of tonight's message is Identity, Friend of God. 
It comes from James chapter 4, verse 4 is our core text, and this is how it reads. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship in the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let me pray for us before we go any further. Father God, thank you that uh, you are a uh, God who is high and lifted up, that you dwell in the high and lofty place, uh, but you are also a God who is near, and you are a God who draws near to us uh, and calls us your friend and wants to uh, deepen and mature our friendship with you. So help us to see that this evening as we look into your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our big idea for tonight is that friends of God value what God values. Friends of God value what God values. James says that it is impossible to be both a friend of the world and to be a friend of God. He says that these two things are diametrically opposed to one another. And so we'll be using that principle as a framework as we look at various passages across Scripture that describe either worldliness or what it means to be a friend of God. So the first thing we we'll look at tonight is friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. And the first thing that we see is that friends of the world pursue worldly passions. Titus 2.12 says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The first thing we see is that friends of the world pursue worldly passions. Their priority in life are things of this world. And the Bible describes worldly pleasures as things like riches, luxury, power, sensuality, and drunkenness. These are the passions of the friends of the world. This is what they live for. All right, let me tell you guys. As you get older, your friends get boring. You get boring. All my friends want to talk about now are their investments, their Roth RIA, their 401k, their furniture collection, their mortgage. All they want to do is play golf. All their Insta stories are just of their swing. And I hate scrolling through my feed now because it is just so freaking boring. And it makes me so sad because, my guys, when did we become such boring adults? And the large majority of my friends, my peers, the people I went to high school and college with, even the Christian ones, are more or less content just to live an upper-middle-class suburban life. And it's not so much that any of these things in and of themselves are bad, like it's not wrong to own a home or to invest your money, it's not wrong to golf, but it is the heart behind it. Their passion is their own comfort, and their desire is for luxury. They want exotic vacations, aesthetic homes, and they want a Pinterest perfect life. Yes, because I'm a millennial, my peers still use Pinterest. Um, and even the Christian ones that they though might go to church on Sundays, if you were to do a side by side comparison of what they daydream about and what they worry about, what they get angry about, by and large, they are virtually non distinguishable from a non Christian. They hope and dream and are passionate about identical things. And so my question for us this evening is, what are you passionate about? The other day, some kids were telling me about, about the reputations of students from each of the different international schools here in Seoul. They say SF kid, SFS kids are like this, SIS kids are like that. So I asked them, what are these kids known for? And they said, people think that these kids are really Christian, like we're the Christian school. Um, and I wonder, is that true? If we took an inventory of the things that you guys think about, and stress about, is it really any different from the things that students at SIS and SFS worry about? Friends of the world adopt the world's passions, which leads them, second, 
to adopt the world's values. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The second thing we see is that friends of the world conform to the world's value system. They exchange God's definition of good for what the world's definition of good is, and they have allowed themselves to be influenced by a worldly moral system. Because when your passion is for success, then you are quickly willing to compromise your values in pursuit of that success. On one hand, like I think all of us would say that we value honesty. No one says that I, I value liars. Lying is what I love. Everyone would say that we value honesty until someone takes a test the block before you and they tell you what's on it. Everyone says they value hard work until you procrastinate and need to copy someone else's homework. And maybe when you were younger, you actually believed that lying or cleaning was bad. In elementary school, you never imagined that you would be one of those high schoolers who smoke or vape or drink. And yet, here we are. And the more and more you saw the people around you doing it, the easier it became to rationalize. It wasn't one big decision, but it was a thousand small decisions that led to these compromises. And the more you get away with it, the easier it becomes to do. Friends of the world will quickly compromise their values in pursuit of their passions. And because of that, third, we see that friends of the world live unfruitful lives. Matthew 13, 22 says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. In this parable, Jesus describes how different groups of people respond to the gospel. And he says that those who love the world ultimately fail to bear fruit in their lives. In the short term, when you look at those who live for the world, their lives may look successful, it may look glamorous, and you may envy them. But the true tragedy of their existence is only made evident in the very end. After you've accumulated all of your riches, and after you've won all of your awards, you will leave this world the same way that you entered it, with nothing. And because you lived a life in pursuit of your own vanity, you will have borne no fruit for God, and you will have made no impact on this earth, and it will be like you were never really here at all. Friends of the world who pursue their own passion, compromise their own values, live unfruitful lives. And finally, we see that friends of the world only seek the gifts of God. In James 4.3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is our core text for tonight. But one thing to note is that when James warns that friendship with the world is enemy with God, he's not talking to an unbelieving audience. He's writing to a Christian one. He says, You ask and do not receive. That means that these people are praying. They are praying people. They believe in God. But he says, You ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Friends of the world only go to God when they need something from Him. They go to God not because they want more of God, but they want God to give them more of the world. And they seek the gifts of God, but they do not seek the giver. People who try to be friends with the world and friends of God, these are like the types of friends who only hit you up when they need something. So I've always been, like just objectively, as humbly as I can speak, I've always been an above-average writer. Um, like especially for an Asian American, I was above average writer. Like all my Asian friends were good at math. I was the only like even like that picture I showed of all my friends yesterday. Like, they were all math and science teachers. I was the only weird English teacher. Um, and so I had two other friends, Korean friends in high school, who were not good writers. 
And so when we were taking AP Lang during my junior year, every few weeks when an essay was due around midnight, I would get uh, instant messages from them. This is back in the AIM, I get right? And he'd be like, hey, Chris, how's it going? Uh, the first few times, I'm like, hey, not bad. What's going on with you? And I'm making small talk. We're going back and forth. And then inevitably, it's always, hey, by the way, do you think you could have some time to uh, look over my essay for me? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll look it over. Uh, and every few weeks, as midnight rolls around, hey, Chris, how's it going? And the first few times, I'd fall for it. By like the fourth or fifth time, if I knew it's an essay day, I get that message. I was just like, shut up. Just, just send me your essay. Um, and I, I was fine editing it. We were close, so it didn't really bother me that much. Um, but I think many of us treat God the same way. We pretend to have a relationship with him only when we want something from him. So the question for us is, when are you the most likely to pray, and what do you pray for? These are four descriptors of friends of the world that we see in Scripture. And my guess is that this describes many of us and so what does the alternative look like? The second thing we look like is friendship with God. And the first thing we see is that friends of God share God's vision. In verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus says that one of the distinctive characteristics that separates his servants from his friends is that his friends know what the Father's plans are. They understand what the Master's business is. They don't just know how to do a task. But they understand the reason why they are doing it, because friends of God share God's vision. And rather than live in pursuit of their own passion, friends of God want God's will to be done. When we talk about prayer, we said that when we pray, we release the realities of heaven onto earth, and we are praying for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends of God want the gospel to go forth to the ends of the earth. They want God's justice to reign where there is oppression. They want God's name to be exalted above every idol. And they want God to be glorified in all creation. Uh, you know, working at an international school means that you have a really diverse range of colleagues, people from different countries, different ages, a lot of different personalities. Uh, some, some of you guys always do this. You always try to get me to spill the tea about which of my coworkers I don't like. They're like, who's your least favorite teacher? Um, okay, it's like, sure, obviously, there are some teachers I have more in common with than others, right? Like the other day, uh, one of the teachers, they invited me. They're like, hey, man, like, you want to come ice fishing with me? Like, you know, you tuck your shirt in, then you dig a hole in the ice, and then try to catch them with your body. Um, I'm like, no, nah, man, that's just not what I'm about. This, this is not who I am. Um, but despite our differences, as long as they have a heart for the kingdom, no matter how much we may or may not have in common, even if I don't really like their personality, I consider them a friend uh, because we are living for the same cause and we are on the same mission. Because friends of God are friends with other friends of God because they share the same vision. And second, friends of God reflect God's character. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled faces, talking about Moses, who was called a friend of God, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Paul says that as we behold the glory of God, we are made more and more like him. 
You know how people say that couples start to look like each other after a while? Uh, the same is true for friends, too. We pick up each other's mannerisms. We start to talk the same. We start to laugh the same. Uh, my friend from the States was visiting me. I started picking up some of the ways he talks. And then when I was hanging out with Mr. Chan, he called me out on it. Because we were eating food. And I said, hey, that's bussin'. Um, Mr. Chan says, when do you say bussin'? And I was like, because this, this other guy's like six years younger than me. I'm just picking up how he talks. Um, but you start to look like the people that you spend time with. And the same way, friends of God begin to resemble God. Because they spend time with him. And you become like him. You see that he is patient with you and it makes you more patient. You see that he is gentle with you and it makes you more gentle. You see that he is loving and it makes you more loving. And so my question is, when people see you, do they see Jesus in you? Not perfectly, but do they at least see certain aspects of his character? And I want to be careful because I think some of us may be quick to say, no, I'm nothing like Jesus. And that's categorically untrue because you were made in his image. We may have different strengths and weaknesses in our characters. Some of us, like we might do a great job of showing the love of Jesus, but we don't do a good job of showing his holiness. Others of us do a good job of showing the righteousness of Jesus, but not his gentleness. And so it is good and proper to celebrate the ways that you do already reflect Jesus, but also to think soberly about the ways that you need to grow in reflecting more of him. Like I know for myself, I have plenty of weak points in my character. Plenty of ways I still need to grow to look more like him. And as we grow to become more, more like him, the third thing we see is that friends of God bear fruit for God. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. As we become more like him, the inevitable result is that we will bear fruit for him. Friends of God actually make a difference in this world for God because their lives are not spent solely in pursuit of their own worldly passions, but rather because they spend their lives in service to God and in service to others, they will make an eternal impact. Things we accomplish in the flesh will be fade away and be forgotten. But Jesus says in Matthew 10, 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, by no means will, his, will he lose his reward. Everything we do for the glory of God will be remembered in eternity. Uh, so for the past two weeks, uh, Joe, the Hubei who was visiting me, uh, it was his first time visiting Korea. I showed him around Seoul. Uh, we went to Tokyo, we went to Busan. Uh, we did a lot, we saw a lot, we ate a lot. Uh, he had the opportunity to come to Encounter. He played guitar for us a couple weeks ago. At the end of the trip, I asked him, uh, is there anything you feel different about as you head back to America? And he said the last two and a half weeks we spent together uh, made him want to start living for the kingdom again. Uh, and I was so encouraged by that because that wasn't my goal, right? We were just traveling together. But the rest of our friends have stopped going to church. Uh, but he said, seeing my heart for God and for his kingdom made him want to start trying it. I'm not humble bragging right now because, again, that's not, uh, that wasn't my goal. Uh, but I was so encouraged because I still feel like such an immature follower of Christ. Uh, but that even in my flawed obedience, someone can be encouraged to want to follow God. And there are so many people who do that for me that when I spend time with them, they make me want more of God. We need friends who are friends of God. Because when you spend time with people who are friends of God, it makes you want more of God. So another question for us is, are you living your life in a way 
that is spiritually benefiting anyone else around you? When people spend time with you, do they want to love God more? Because if you are, then that is a good indication that you are a close friend of God. And the final thing we see is that friends of God seek the face of God. Exodus 33, 11 says, Thus the Lord needs to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The difference between friends of the world and friends of God is that the former only seek God's hands, while the latter seek God's face. Friends of the world only want things from God, but friends of God want God himself. Because the whole reason why Jesus died on the cross, again, it wasn't just to get us out of hell, but it was to give us more of God. Because Jesus knows what is infinitely valuable is God himself. And so friends of God seek the face of God because, again, our big idea for tonight, friends of God value what God values. And that means that we value God because he is the only one who is infinitely valuable. Um, just as we begin to wrap up, uh, I think, you know, after tonight's message, uh, you might be a little bit confused. You might be a little bit discouraged and wonder, like, yeah, am I really a friend of God or am I just a friend of the world? Uh, and to some degree, all of us are still friends of the world uh, because all of us will continue to struggle with sin until Jesus returns. But if you have put your faith in Christ, then the good news is that God already calls you his friend. This is what it says again in John 15, 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. On the one hand, it is true that we have to grow in our friendship with God. But on the other hand, it is also true that we are already friends of God. Not because we chose him, but because he chose us. So yes, as we grow in our friendship with God, we begin to value what he values. But we don't earn the right to become God's friends by becoming more like him. The only reason why you and I can be called friends of God, can you guys leave me for a second? The only reason why you and I can be called friends of God is because Jesus valued you more than he valued his life. This is what it says, just the next verse, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And who was that someone? It was our Lord who laid his life down for us to make us into his friends. The greatest evidence that we are friends of God is not your spiritual maturity. The greatest evidence that we are friends of God is Jesus' death. Because on the cross, he declared once and for all that you are his friend. And so, uh, as his friends, uh, as those who are in Christ, uh, may we pursue a deeper friendship with him so that uh, we will share his vision, have his values, bear fruit for him as we seek his face.